So we're still in uh, Colossians chapter 2. I promise we're going to, I mean, chapter 1, verse 2, and we're just going to do verse 2, and starting next week, um, we'll be picking it up a little faster, or we'll be here for the next six years. Um, but if you have not been receiving the weekly uh, email with the verses and uh, some thoughts ahead of time, it means we don't have your contact information. So last week's verse, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. Now remember a couple of things here. He's in prison in Rome. And it, it, it wasn't nice. And there's some thought that they didn't feed people in prison. And you just died, which is why you needed somewhat some support while you're in prison to get food in there to you. Um, and this is, this is A.D. 60, which is the same time uh, of Philippians and Ephesians were written. So he's, his new ministry, which is so interesting, his, his new ministry is, uh, okay, I'm blind. Um, I'm going to start dictating these letters to the churches and getting them out. And the word chosen also means called. I, I can hear, and it came to me uh, while you were on the phone this morning with your mom out in the parking lot. Uh, I can hear my mom. I grew up on Long Island, and I can hear my mom coming out on the front porch and saying things like, Bobby, get your brother Stephen out of the street. She's calling to me to do something. Could be her job, but she's calling and trusting me as a 10 or 12-year-old to get little Stephen out. We're called by Christ to do things. To do things. Yeah, and it doesn't matter where you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your calling is in place, no matter what place you're in. Your calling's in place. You're called, no matter what place you're in, period. End of story. And so it's not just prison. It's worse than that, if, that, if that's at all possible. And I'm, I'm going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 1, if you, if you want to get there. Uh, because in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, written the same time, he makes a very, very, very interesting statement. He says in Philippians 1.12, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. In other words, I know, I know that as the guys are going back and forth to you, they're telling you what, what's going on here in Rome in the church. And the church was a nightmare, uh, much of the church, not all the church in Rome. And, but here's what he's saying, and he's saying, um, Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And, and he's saying to me, Bob, have you ever looked at the mercy of God in your life? When you look at in view of God's mercy, you know, we were, we were talking beforehand about um, high school and, and uh, that um, the whole picture here of me in high school and Coach Rathjay uh, was the dean and the coach. He kept me in high school. Uh, I didn't get out till 19, but he kept me in high school. I skipped a lot, and uh, I'll never forget. I need to go light because we have children here. Um, I, I'll never forget when I was in the parking lot one evening uh, in my dad's car with a young lady I was dating, and Coach caught me there, sent her home immediately, and gave me a broom and said, uh, you can either be suspended for this or you can sweep the entire student parking lot. And I'm looking at him like, wow. And I, I mean, I, the thought of him calling my dad, not possible. I couldn't handle that, uh, the, con the consequence from my dad. And so the bottom line here is I swept the parking lot. And 
the mercy there for me and the mercy there since I came to Christ, since I came to Christ, and the guys from high school that have contacted me and one flown down, flew down, like what happened to you? And the, the 50th anniversary of, of our high school football team and that my name would come up when I only played in two games my whole career uh, in, in high school and uh, I think maybe even two plays, I can't remember which it was, but anyway. And then has anybody looked and seen, I mean, he's, he, he's like religious now in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy to do what? It says in Romans 12, 1, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Bob, when was the last time you sacrificed for me, son? Sacrifice financially, sacrifice verbally, sacrifice as far as your time is concerned. So you actually felt it. Yeah. To offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. To me, that's motive. Why am I doing this? This is all for you. This is all for you, Lord. This is all for you. This is what was so cool about you today. I'm, I'm killing you today, I know it. That you begged me not to tell people that you're the one that brings the food because you weren't doing it for anything other than him. And, you know, I, prior to this moment, I didn't think Marines were very smart. The only other one I knew was Gruntler, and so I thought, you know, but at least there is one smart, nice Marine. Shut up, shut up, shut up. And then holy and pleasing to God. And then the verse ends like this. This is your true and proper worship. Not a church. That's praise time and, and learning time. Your proper worship is when you leave this room. Yeah, and then Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. So what Paul's saying is, I know you hear what's going on here in Rome, but do you not realize all things work together for good? There's a good somewhere? Yeah, and I want you to know, Philippians 1.12, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. In verse 13, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And the thought here is there's two guards in there um, in, in the prison area with him, and the thought is they're watching him, and then the thought is at some point he's teaching them, and he realizes I'm not chained to them, they're chained to me. They have no options. And then the thought is that this Praetorian guard, the Green Beret, are coming to Christ, and coming to Christ, and coming to Christ, and they're the palace guard also, and all of a sudden it's spreading through, of all people, the Marines, of all people there, and, and I, I think I've said this before, and there are commentators that believe it would get to the point where the four-hour shift guys would come in, take off their armor, and sit down at his feet, and he'd teach them. And then they're putting their armor back on, and they're going back to work at the end of their shift. The thought is Paul's watching them put on their armor and goes, says to himself, oh, this is it. When we go out into the world, we need to put on the armor of God. And he includes that in the Ephesians letter. Wow. Yeah, verse 14, and because of my imprisonment, or as a, as a result of it, most of the believers, most is a pivotal word there, here, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives, he says in verse 17, as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
intending to make my chains more painful for me. And then verse 18 is amazing. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message of Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. This will lead to my deliverance. It's the most amazing picture of all in, all in. When I, uh, typically when I go in to be an interim, I ask for the, for the finances. I want to see the finances. I want to see everything they'll let me see. And the, the most amazing one was to be the most, the highest honor I ever had was to be the uh, interim at Sheridan Hills Baptist Church when Bill Billingsley died. Bill Billingsley's the founder. I'm not the founder. Bill Billingsley's the founder. Uh, and he founded it off a Sheridan House off of uh, Flamingo Road, uh, 200 yards from the Hard Rock Cafe, which I'm grateful to God we're not there now anymore. Um, and he tried to make that a church. It didn't work, and he converted the church into a children's home when I was working for the state of Florida, referring kids from the courts to places. And so when I got the books, um, I, 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 for all the wrong reasons, wanted to see what his salary was and everything else. And I'm sitting there with the, with the comptroller guy, and I'm shocked at how small a salary is. And I say it to Clell. I can't believe how well it is. They always say, it's more than that. He's a 50, he was a 50% giver. He said, what was that? He said, why do you think he drove that 24-year-old Renault all around? He said, it was a total piece of junk. He didn't care. And I got his wife a nice car, but he just didn't care. And I went for a long ride in my car in my Rolls Royce, and I was driving around. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, wow, Lord, this is why you used him. And the interesting thing about him is he had what he called the 2,000 rule. When you hit 2,000, he sent them out and started another church. And every time Sheridan Hills hit 2,000, he sent them out and started potential, what used to be Flamingo, First Baptist Weston, 27 churches. He could have had 40,000. Not about me. Not about me. Wow. It was such a great role model. I can't imagine his home in heaven right now. I, I, I can't. He said, Paul says, For I know that as you pray for me in the spirit of Jesus Christ uh, helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. So this deliverance is an interesting word um, because he never asks, help me be delivered from prison. This is the place I'm in. So as long as I'm here, as long as he wants me here, he'll, he'll get me out when I'm done. He, this deliverance, what is this deliverance? And the, the word for deliverance is very interesting. It's like UPS delivers a box to my house. The box has nothing to do with getting to my house. The box doesn't scoot itself along the sidewalk. It's, it's delivered. It does, UPS does the delivering. I have nothing to do with heaven. I don't scoot myself closer to being a better person to get to heaven. My Lord does the whole delivering, the deliverance of me. And this whole deliverance word, I, I think it's multiple. I think part of it is I get delivered to heaven by Christ and Christ alone and what he did for me. But I think there's also, and especially in such a time like this, deliverance from discouragement in a time like this. Deliverance from depression. Um, the, the church where the Tuesday morning Bible study is right now. Three suicides this season. 
Yeah. People just being depressed. And why, I'm, I'm watching pastors. Take care of your pastor. I'm, I'm watching them. They're like, are we going to be able to open back up? Deliverance for me. Deliverance from anger. And I always justified as righteous anger. And, and I, always, I had, had this little verse I used to lean on, be angry and sin not, so I have permission to be angry. Um, no, your anger, Bob, is pride. Let me just help you there. Um, I'm talking, get rid of that. Yeah, you're here as long as he wants you here. And in the process, I want to be delivered from the baggage of depression or whatever. There's a great George Whitfield quote. We are immortal until his work is done. No one can have you until he's done using you here. Every Christian is called to be a witness for Christ. That's why you're still here. That's why you're still here. Every Christian is called, is called. Yeah, Paul goes on to say, you know, yeah, I'm in chains, yeah, I'm in prison, but only one thing counts to me. Yeah, and it's Philippians 1.18. But what, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. I think there, there's some mentality in some parts of the Christian world that if you're close to Jesus, you're not going to have any problems. I don't know what planet that's from. I mean, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties that draw you deeper into his lap and deeper and deeper. And so, you know, I, I actually, I, it's kind of a privilege that you want me closer, Lord. Yeah, again, number one on your outline, your calling is in place no matter what place you are in, emotionally or, or physically. So now to our focal verse, First Colossians, Colossians, Colossians 1, verse 2. We are writing, we, Timothy and I, are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, May God our Father give you grace and peace. There is so much in this one verse, it's unbelievable. But the we is bigger than Timothy. The we, the we, uh, we know from um, the, the fourth chapter of this book of, of Colossians that uh, it's Paul, Timothy, Tychius, Onesimus, who was the runaway slave, uh, which is so interesting. Um, I can't pronounce some of these. Mark, who Paul walked away from, uh, Barnabas's cousin, we'll talk about him later, Paul said, I'm done with him. Um, and then Justice, and the one who apparently, according to commentators, gave up the most was Dr. Luke. Luke was a physician. Now these guys are on and off with him. We know he sent Timothy on to be a young pastor. These guys are with him, and they're, they're, he's referring to them as the team. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. And um, I like the ESV. Uh, says it a little better here, the English Standard Version. It says, to the saints and faithful brothers. To the saints and faithful brothers. A saint is a believer. You don't become a saint because of your behavior. A saint is a believer. There's nothing I can do good enough to get his attention. He's focused on me because he adores me and adores you like his only child. Yeah, it's not a, it's, it's all, saints are all believers. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you become a saint in his eyes. You know, it's kind of like your baby, your little baby 
Um, Tori was born, Tori's our first. She was born two months premature, uh, dramatic pregnancy. The doctor told me Rosemary wasn't gonna make it, nor was Tori, they're gonna try to save both of them. I've already told that story. Tori's in the, in the whatchamacallit, uh, at Memorial with a whole bunch of other babies. And when it's your baby, you almost feel sorry for the other parents and babies compared to your baby. You're looking at your baby and she's perfect and she's beautiful and she's all pink. And, and it's just like, wow, this little, you know, first weeks of baby being a baby, newborn. And then you get a couple years down the road and you find that newborn picture. In my day, it was Polaroid. Anybody know what a Polaroid is? It was Polaroid. Polaroid! Yeah, okay, just want to make sure you heard me over there. And I look at this picture, and I thought, wow, we have come a long way since this raisin was born here. Wow. But when it's your baby, they're, they're just like awesome. They're amazing. To imagine that Jesus sees us born again, new, fresh, loves us, and Bob, I know the plans I have for you, son. You know, the title saint is your title when you become a Christian. The saints at Colossae. Christ's death on the cross, letter A, covered all your sins and connected you to creator God. The door opened for me to have a relationship with creator God. But so that we don't miss this, letter B, no one becomes a saint because of their behavior. The thought that I can do things good enough to become a saint is an insult to Christ's sacrifice for us. An absolute insult. If I were to rewrite this outline, I would have insult be the word we write in there. Yeah, you are a saint totally, totally by trusting Christ. Yeah, we're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, to his saints. And he says another thing after his saints, who are faithful brothers and sisters. And interestingly enough, the ESV, NLT, and NIV all use the word faithful. So this is really important. Faithful, it's, it's a beautiful designation. And this is, this is a church. Um, it, it's so different to go to church uh, in South Florida versus any place else. Uh, I, I love the house in South Florida. Fill in the pulpit, at, and I don't want to use the name. Anyway, at a church um, that was a Baptist church in Hendersonville, North Carolina. I'll do it like that. Uh, and it started with first in the front. And uh, we'll go in, and we, and we come walking out, and Rosemary said, this was so sweet. And I said, Rosemary, it was 2,000 white people. I can't do church like that anymore. That's not real. That's not normal. And then being Rosemary, well, you don't know the demographics. And so I went on the county demographics when we got, got back to our little place, and, and I said, look at this. That's this church here. Not that, this is a South Florida church because it was made up of all different backgrounds. Rich, poor, masters, slaves, men, women, Greeks, barbarians, Jews, Gentiles but they're faithful to each other, faithful brothers and sisters. So the, the, once I become and realize, in view of God's mercy, and I become a believer, it's time for me to choose to be faithful, not just to him, but to my brothers and sisters. My mom sending me out in the street to get my, get my little brother out of the street. You know, take care of your little brother, Bobby. Are you not watching? And us taking care of each other. The church of Colossae was 
faithful in two ways. And I love the commentator I was using, Charles Erdman, because er Erdman says that the saints are further described as faithful brethren in Christ. They are faithful in the sense not only of being trustworthy, but also of being trustful. I'm trusting this way, trustful. I'm trustworthy this way. What can I do? How can I help? How can I show up? How can I show up? They were, uh, they were faithful. They were faithful in that they were trustful. They had faith. They trusted that God had them covered in the present as well as the future. If I really know that, then I'm not the center of my universe. If I really know that, then it's not all about me getting what I want and, and, and wanting more. And If I really know that, then my universe has, for those of us that are married, if I really know that, then my primary responsibility is my bride. How, how do I serve her today? And that's why the verse, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I hear that, Lord, but... You, you don't know what my wife does or doesn't do and, or irritate or whatever it is, or the difficulty. You don't, oh yeah, I do, son. I do, and I'm giving you the opportunity. When Rosemary's parents were in Lakeland, and it was the end of their life, and they were pastors, and there's a retirement center for pastors up in Lakeland, and, and she would uh, drive up on Thursdays, and it scared me to death. She'd drive up on Thursdays and come back on Saturday and make sure her mom and dad were okay, and then it was just her mom. And she said, you know, I've come to realize I'm not going for them. He's having me go for me. He's having me go for me. I've come to realize with the ladies' Bible study, I didn't think I could do this, and I, then I realized I have no options. This is, I'm ministering to ladies whose last names I don't know. And my mom's up there. And you talk to your mom in Brazil every morning, right? That was very cool this morning. I probably scared you to death when I came up on your car when you're out there in the car. But wow. Yeah. Yeah. They were faithful to each other. They could trust each other because they had the common goal of serving Christ. So there's little, little Katie Sullivan up at the desk yesterday morning talking about how do I get the plate and how much does it cost for my new Toyota and she's weeping she can't stop weeping that Calvary gave me and um, and it, it, the story is so much more and better but anyway it wasn't going to be a new one until some men said oh yeah it is and popped and then people fighting to pay for her license plate and now she's leaning on the desk weeping uh, the circle desk up there and, and saying the same phrase again, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve this. And she's a single mom, and you're right, you don't, me neither. Deserve? I love R.C. Sproul's book, Holiness of God. Don't ask for what you deserve, you deserve hell. Yeah, I mean, okay, you're right. I, I'm removing the word deserve from my world here. Yeah, th these, these backgrounds and social status and ethnicity and brokenness, and, and here's the biggie. Opinions. Opinions, the picture here is I do deserve hell. But he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Wow. They were bound together. Not because they had the same opinion about how the church is supposed to be run. 
not because they had the same opinion about some doctrine. And, and I think it's kind of healthy that we debate some of the things we find in here. We'll find out in heaven. Um, you know, pre-millennial, post-millennial, is this the end times? Are we going to be here for the end? I don't know. don't care. I just know I'm going. Amen. I, I'm not going to spend any time on that. And, and so I, I, think, I, I think we don't want to be little clones of what our pastor tells us. We want to look it up and say, Pastor, can I ask you a question about that? And I loved my pastor for that, letting me challenge stuff. And, and I was always wrong, but letting me challenge stuff. It was awesome. Yeah. They were bound together because of what Christ had done in their lives. The more they grew to understand that, the more they trusted Christ, and the more they could be trusted by the family of Christ. How can I help you? Yeah, and it's, I, there's some mornings I get here really, really early, and just driving around looking at the new buildings, and this is the verse, and it's the verse in all our lives. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How? According to his power that's at work within us. He, he can't be hindered, but I can hinder him working his power through me. I've got to trust. I've got to reach past me. I've got to give past me. I've got to speak past me. I gotta, you know, do I, am I great at sharing the gospel one-on-one? No, but I've got to risk it anyway. I've got to risk past it. And, and Lord, take over. Take over. But here's the key. To Bob be the glory for this property or these buildings or to me, and, and it's so silly, but I, one of my favorite things here are the lights in the, in the morning because we told Rick Hornsby no lights, no lights. What, what are these lights? A piece that are like 1,700? Yeah. It's like no lights. We can't afford the lights. And I come back and they're putting up lights and, and it's covered. It's covered. And many of you bought the final lights. Yeah, no. But we have to be careful, especially when he does awesome things in and around us. No, not to me be the glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To him. To him. So I, I know I've told you the story, but I've told them all. 20 times anyway. Back in the, in the early 80s when I was doing a parenting seminar at what used to be Flamingo Road Baptist Church and Bob Hammer, the founder, it was one of the first churches Billingsley founded and put a pastor out there and Bob Hammer had been there four years and they were up to about 200, 250 people and um, he walked me to the parking lot on a Wednesday night and said, would you, I'm telling them I'm leaving, I'm going back to Tennessee, would you uh, fill the pulpit till they get somebody? And I said, I don't know how to fill a pulpit. And he said, well, you got that men's Bible study in Fort Lauderdale. I said, that's totally different. And he said, well, would you at least pray about it and let me know Friday? And I went home and I made a huge mistake and talked to Rosemary about it. And the next thing I know, I'm doing it. And, uh, but it's about the time where people started moving into places like Rock Creek and all these other places. And so there was, the, there was like the church to the north and uh, Flamingo. And that was it out here. No place else to go to church. And so in the first year, we grew from 240 to 1,200. 
and they were talking in Fort Lauderdale about what's Barnes doing out there, what's Barnes doing out there. And so uh, we went from one to three services, and Hawkins, who was the new pastor at First Baptist, uh, brings these other pastors from other churches just to come and see uh, what radically I'm doing, and they're there at the third service sitting in the back row, and they want to go to lunch afterward. They asked me ahead of time to go to lunch afterwards. If they hadn't, they wouldn't have gone to lunch with me at all. But we're over across the street at the Italian restaurant, Marola's, I think, and we're eating. And uh, Hawkins said, uh, something amazing is happening here, but I want you to know something. I just heard your sermon. It's not you. <laughs> and I knew that. It was just getting scary, but quite honestly, it's, it's very ego intoxicating. And they asked me to be their pastor, and I thought, you know, I think I'm feeling the call. And I went to my mentor, David Hamilton, at First Baptist Fort Lauderdale, the executive pastor, and he said to me, uh, he said, before you come, I want you to tell me what you want to talk about. And I said, well, I'm, Flamingo's asking me, he said, to be the pastor, said, I've been waiting for that. Let's eat. And so I go up, and we go out to lunch, and he said, uh, what do you know about being a pastor? Do you even have a degree in that? What do you know? And I said, um, well, I mean, I'm doing Wednesday nights and three Sunday mornings. That's not being a pastor. That's preaching. What do you know about being a pastor? And do you do any of the meetings? And yeah, No. So he said, so you're having an extramarital affair with the church and your ego. Go back to Sheridan. That's where you belong. I was furious. And I pulled back into the dirt parking lot on the old campus and burst into tears and realized. And I remember saying to Jesus, I don't know if I can handle success, Lord. I was taking credit for that. And before we threw out all my little tapes, uh, oh, it's on the move here. Um, I said, I'm going to listen to some of those, and they had to get me a cassette player, cassette tapes, because the cars didn't have these anymore. Oh, those messages were so bad. But there was no place else to go to church but two churches on Flamingo Road. And the bottom line here is, glory to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 Yeah, Paul is saying here, we're writing in the second we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. And so that kind of final thing, and all of them says, again, all three translations, grace and peace. Grace is the free gift of a relationship with your Father and an eternity in heaven. It was paid for. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. So Mike Rittering comes to visit. Mike Rittering is the missionary in Burkina Faso who was butchered by the whoever they were. It was horrible. And a uh, friend and actually been after Mike. It was just actually, he was butchered waiting near the airport for West Pines people, oh, you West Pines people know this, to land and help him at the orphanage. And they had to go a different route as they were attacking. He came here about once a year and uh, the day he came, right before that, someone had come in and given me a brand new iPhone. And honestly, um, I don't upgrade very well because it takes me six months to figure out how to new, do an upgrade. I, I like this old one. It's working for me, and it's kind of cool because the screen's cracked. Um, so, it, you, know, you know, I'm using it. And so I give it to Mike. 
And I say, let me see your phone. And he, had a, he still had like a Nextel something. It was horrible, a flip phone of some kind. And so I give him the phone, and uh, they, they took it in and charged it. And uh, he went and sat with somebody, and they showed him how to use it. And I'm standing there, or they're showing him how to do stuff. And I'm thinking, and I said to whoever it was, I can't, Angel or somebody, and I said, does my phone do that? I said, yeah. My phone does that? And I go on a little further. Does my phone do that too? And they go, yeah. And how do you get those little facey things in there, those faces and all the smiley things? And, and uh, I'm walking away realizing I am so underutilizing. Stop laughing. I'm so underutilizing this phone. It's the same when you come to Christ. What you have in you, and that's why Paul says in another passage, work it out. Work out your salvation. It's in there. Get it out. And part of getting it out, honestly, is the peace. Once I know through the grace of God that I have you in my life, in my life, and I'm going to heaven, there ought to be a peace. There ought to be a peace. Yeah, as you open the package of grace and read the directions called the Bible, it should leave you with incredible peace. I should have peace, and not just incredible peace, but in Philippians it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It'll guard you from panic. So, bottom line, when I find myself in a season of no peace, it's an indicator that I'm living life leaning on my own understanding. And if you've got control issues like I do, I like control and all of a sudden, I lose peace, and then all of a sudden, wait a minute, wait a minute, when did I become my own little king and my own little god? Stop, stop, you, you know what you're doing here. Yeah, you know the passage in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, because after a while of leaning, you're leaning so far you're going to fall over. Lean not to your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. I like this translation. Do, do not be wise in your own eyes. Wisdom is here. Yeah. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Because of verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Bob. Fear the Lord and shun evil. May God our Father give you grace as you come to him, and peace as a byproduct. And that peace is a barometer. Okay, I'm not real peaceful right now, because you're running your own life. Get you out of the center. Put him back in the center. Sacrifice for him. In view of God's mercy to you, Bob, how could you do any less? <laughs>